Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here with part two of my White Croc Green Sun report. The darkness rolled around me while I was unconscious. My life was in the waves. I dove through my childhood, the days alone with a survival knife in the wide forests surround me. I passed through the homeschooling and crested on an exam for my GED. I found I could fly through this primordial mind ocean like a dolphin and landed on the memory of me eating Mr. Henderson's BBQ. That kid could cook. When I became bored of it, I searched out my mother, sea gray hair tied tight behind her, and her hands playing with a knife. She taught me whittling while we sat on a porch. I asked her the usual questions, carefully probing for what she knew, but I kept hidden year in, year out. No name for my father, no reason to keep us isolated in the Missouri Ozarks except to keep you safe. Then there was a pause, something like, hey Jack, want to learn a new knife trick? Want to know how to start a fire with just a sheet of paper? Or, yep, hot and humid today, likely tomorrow too with a little bit of irony. Eventually I would carve something I would call a horse, and she would snort and show off her own horse. There's a nice little hidey hole on the childhood property I keep them all in. All paired up. Horses, dogs, monkeys. She called snakes lazy, even if I had cross-hatched all the scales. Sweating, laboring on something only we'd see. A treasured memory of mine. Never got tired of it. When I turned eight, there was a lean time when she was gone, and after I was thirteen as well. She had turned to the Pinkertons for money and answers. I would too, but that was just nature taking its course. Control had the application filled out for me, and the next day I was interviewing some bum in Columbia who'd sworn he'd been punched by one of Santa's little helpers. Then there was that trip to Dayton, that led nowhere, a fist fight with a farmer who didn't like the tone of my voice. After that, I think there was a few interviews for the archives. Nothing interesting. Oh, and the Schlesinger case. My first one that put me in real danger. What a mess. But any paranormal Pinkerton mess you can walk away from is a success. I think days cleaned that up. Or maybe the Société Étrangère? I can't remember. My consciousness came close to the surface. The hypnotic movements of being carried were slowing down. I couldn't hear much of anything, but I could feel waiting. Then someone lifting an arm and feeling the pulse. 
The drug kept me down, and I involuntarily slipped into all the run-together memories of me eating at my favorite barbecue restaurants. It was extensive. They woke me up with a slap. I snarled and cursed, but the chains around my hands were of iron and their foundations in granite and stone. Before I could focus my eyes, the torchback shadows moved. There was laughter and cheering. By the sound, I could tell there were enough people for a good crowd, but not a big one at all, if I had my Tommy gun. And I wouldn't say no to my 1911 either. The shadows outside my vision curtailed by stone designs on my bed, as it was, fled the area. They moved south, confidently. They had done this before. I checked for watchers, but the tensions were outside. Towards, I don't know what. The well my body was laid in was surprisingly comfortable. Maybe it was just because I had been tossed around like a sack of flour. But this sacrificial altar was well used. It smelled of blood, reeked of it. The more I came back to myself, the worse it got. Nothing wet. You could feel it coming from this thing like a miasma, a fog of evil intent and death. I didn't like it. I twisted, pulled at my chains, kicked at the air, trying to get leverage. There was a wriggle in one of the loop hooks. I liked that. That would give me a chance, so I got to work on it. They ground at the holes, not quite dusty, but loose enough to come up, given just a little more time. I didn't have that luxury. Stone gears clicked and ground against each other, and I rose up on my chained altar. Above, two leaves of thin gray rock parted. It was mid-afternoon. I couldn't have been out for more than a couple hours. Three... The sun looked right for five o'clock. I was grateful for the breeze. It took some of the smell away. I put on my best war face and prepared to scream bloody threats to all and sundry. The usual kind. Usually involving parents and possible kids and their incestuous relationships. Give them a good show. Maybe scare some of the weak ones. Don't want to go out like a coward. I couldn't let it out. A man in a fancy headdress was staring down at me. The face looked like a set of half-inflated tubular balloons, like an artist took the idea of a face for little Timmy's birthday party, and then the brat left it out in the sun. His hat would have made the Aztec Pope jealous. Half a peacock had been plucked to provide him the magnificence he clearly deserved. His neck was thick from holding up the bricks of gold stacked across his bulbous brow, and down his ears like a football helmet. Bejeweled South American dragons, snakes with feathery wings, coiled up and down his shoulders. He was naked but for a leathery cape. Whatever the ridiculousness of his outfit, there was no mistaking the hate and mania in his feverish eyes. He was screaming in a language with too many T's and C's. As I rose, he waved a staff over my body, then jammed it into a special plinth. I struggled harder. Around us, some ten human forms without spirit and soul bowed to my stone bower. When they rose up, arms waving, I could see dull faces and blank eyes. They were uglier than the priest, but I could see a hint of relation in their heavy brow. 
I wanted to break free, make them pay for what they did to me. In the torchlight, violence and blood played over my mind's eye, even though their bodies hulked over me. Whenever they bent over with their monkey-like faces, they were more fat than muscle. Degenerate. I could take them. The shackle worked even looser. The stone lifted and I saw that the crowd was smaller than I thought. Maybe twenty, excluding the nearby servants and priests. They stacked on the steps of the pyramid. It was short, barely two or three steps. More hill than anything else. Swamp lapped at its edges. It felt like it was more than what I could see. It had a gravity to it, like the swamp was trying to eat it out, not coexist with it. The degenerates grabbed the base of my platform and pushed. The whole thing turned, grinding on hinges. I passed in front of the priest again, this time not distracted by his <laughs> awesome hat. I saw his keyring dangling on a belt I hoped was not made of human skin, but was attached to his body by hooks inserted into the high priest's flesh. I could see the forest around us. Again, I had the feeling that we were somewhere close down by the ground, but that the pyramid reached far down into the earth. The steps below, the center of each side, had no end, just walked down into the depths as if no wretched swamp clung to its foundations. The forest was trying to eat the pyramid, send it to the depths. The tree branches reached close, touching the squat columns and statues of Aztec gods. Each leaf burst with life, each second brought a vein of pulsing life to the tip of the leaves, and then back down into the tree bark. They rustled against the wind as much as with it, touching and probing everything in reach. At points, vines anchored branches to stone. I now faced opposite the entrance. Heaped in piles around the altar were trophies and totems of victims. The lowest layer was obsidian flecks, rotted fur and bones, then rusted iron and steel. Throughout were strange items and coins, gold and gems, carved into faces and animals snarling and cursing. Strips of fabric, like monks' robes, fluttered. The sabers and guns of conquistadors studded the pile. The top of the pile layered modern clothing, cell phones, glasses, and other baubles that marked the modern man. I saw my tommy gun stuck upright, as if they planned it to be my tombstone. The 1911 was nearby, and more than a few of my knives were stuck here and there, at random spots. A man like me knows his knives by heart. I worked harder on the loose chain. I did not want to be around for the climax of the ritual. Kind of allergic to seeing my own heart, you see. There were pillars and sundial marks around the perimeter. The setting sun was pushing things close to an ornate line carved deep into the stone. At my feet was the half-dead crocodile. It clung to life with a viciousness I admired from a distance. Its ribs were visible. Craters of flesh and sparking brain matter were open to the air. It should have died during our fight. It should have died any number of times between then and now. But it fought on. I could have tipped my hat to it. One thing that still wants to live to another. Above it sat, enthroned, the body of their god, 
Unlike the heavy gold of his priest, this corpse only had a chestplate of gold-braided fabric and a circlet of gold and jade like a snake around its head. Its empty eye sockets stared at me. The jaw was open, the teeth and bones gray and cracked. Glowingly verdant moss and vines covered it like skin and veins of carved emerald. Elsewhere the dead man god was the color of beef left in the sun, or fabric covered in dust and mouse droppings, or storm clouds on an ugly day. Miasma, the same color as his scrapped flesh, fell from its desiccated feet to enwrap the crocodile. This thing was aware of me, the priests, of everything. It had a will, and it wanted blood. I kept struggling. I wasn't going to go down easy. The high priest slid his hands over my clothing. I could feel the strange hand signs that he pressed into me. He was smart and slid around my attempts to kick him. My foot slid past one of his shins and he laughed, breaking character. He must have saw something in my face as I tried to stare him down. Experience. And he laughed again. He was amused by me. He came to the front and stuck his hand under my clothing. His rough hand ripped through the fabric, bearing my chest to the heat of the torches. The dagger was presented to the ragged skeleton, who approved of it without word or motion. I must admit, I wanted that knife. It was a straight edge of obsidian, all danger and slicing purity. Its edge could cut a fly on the wing just by hitting edge on. A masterpiece. From the ruby pommel to the molecularly perfect glass tip, it could cut through anything. I'm a connoisseur, you see. I know. The chain broke out of the hole with a snap. Without missing a beat, I jammed the point into the head of the high priest. He screamed, but I let go of the screw loop and went for the keys at his belt. I wrapped my legs around him, my weight held up by the links of the whole chain. I ripped the key ring off and kicked him away. He stumbled back and I nearly lost my arm to the screw jammed into his head. It came loose with a pop and the high priest fell back, motionless. I could feel the under-priests cease their gibbering and plot murder in their heart for me. The locks on my wrists were small, simple things, unreachable if a man just had a lockpick in his sleeve. I jammed the first, simplest, the second, the third. I fell to my knees and scrambled for the trophy pile. The under-priests rushed at me. I gripped my 1911 and pulled it out of the pile. I fired into the mass of degenerate, fatty, pig-like men. The first died with a squeal of pain and hatred. The second clutched at my feet as I blew his brains out. The third swung a censer at me, and my head filled with soporific incense. I raged and fired the rest of my bullets into his chest. I scrambled to my feet and grabbed one of the heavy sabers left over from some cavalry man searching for El Dorado. These things were weighty, but the first swing cut through the fourth priest's neck just fine. The fifth hesitated, and I jammed one of his sabers into his chest. The rest ran down the short pyramid, following the panicking cultists into the swamp. I didn't pursue. Instead, I grabbed what I could find of my equipment. Knives went back into sheaths. I reloaded my grandfather's 1911 and the Tommy gun. 
I looted a few more things of interest. The last piece of the pile I took was the rest of the dynamite. Some four sticks. I had a promise to keep. I measured out enough fuse for the thing to give me some fifteen minutes of running time. Before I said it, the priest got up. Before I could pull any of my weapons, I felt the knife come down right into my shoulder. He tried to pull it through flesh and bone, but I tensed, gathering my muscles and bones together to catch what it could. I fell back, pulling him off his feet. His teeth clenched and his breath hissed as he got back up. I back walked away, pulling myself towards the weapon pile. My right arm was useless and my left could not reach any of my guns, not without opening me up to the priest. Instead, I grabbed the saber I left in the fifth's chest. I pulled it out and left-handed and slashed wildly. The high priest backed away, not wanting to die as stupid as any of his underlings. I had enough motion in my hand to stabilize myself getting up. Come on, don't you want to meet your gods? His eyes flicked to the side. He had one of my lighters by his foot, along with the dynamite I intended for Miss Future Alligator Boots there on the platform. Blood pooled around the white crocodile's body, and his thick tongue reached out, lapping at it. The blood pulled up the stone to fill gaps that I had blasted out of its flesh, and the hole shrank as I watched. If I wasn't quick, this thing would be back in action. He dove for the lighter, and I charged. We met, and I pushed the two of us off the flat top of the pyramid. We tumbled into the empty steps, where, just minutes ago, there had been some twenty or thirty people chanting for my death. I lost the saber, but he hadn't lost his knife. He jumped on me as I gasped in pain from the fall. My left hand grabbed his wrist, but in not even a breath, the high priest had gotten his right on it and pressed down with all his weight. I couldn't keep him off me. My right arm, ruined as it was, had fallen under me. I barely had any feeling left in it, but I touched the trigger of my Thompson, its drum mag jammed into my back. I fired without aiming. The bullets slammed into the pyramid, shattering stones and rocks used to build it. The shrapnel flew everywhere, and a ricocheting bullet struck my calf. But even as the dagger inched towards my beating heart, a large shard of rock struck the high priest in his eye. With a cry, he lost his concentration, and I pushed up and over him. In a few bare minutes, I had the dagger. I plunged it into his chest again and again until he stopped moving. I watched the blood pool form little rivers and then flow up the pyramid against gravity. The job wasn't done. I kept the knife, shoving it into a sheath I had spare. I staggered, half pulling myself up the stairs. The monster was still immobile, but I shot it in the head a few times anyway. If I wasn't bleeding to death, I could have probably searched the place for clues, but I'm getting really tired of these solo missions. I should have had backup. I should have met with John LeMartin and teamed up with him. I hadn't found any of his usual equipment, stamped as it was, with an obnoxious J.L. in the trophy pile. I pushed those thoughts away. The dead man, still sitting on his throne, stared at everything and nothing at once. It had not moved. Yet the corpse acted pleased, as if it didn't care a whit whether it had been me or the priest dead. Just that blood had been spilled on its pyramid. I finished up my work. With the obsidian blade, I cut open the albino crocodile's guts 
and shoved in my TNT. I lit the fuse, and I stopped, leaping away from the moss-covered corpse. It had felt like it had picked up its sword to attack me. My sixth sense was going wild over a dead thing on the throne. By now it was twilight. The shadows flickered like mad over our bodies, sometimes forming the shadow of a standing man in front of me. He and I looked at one another. Then something stepped into the blood pool that had formed around its pet. A sandaled footprint pushing away the blood around it. A real invisible presence. I could imagine it. A skeleton smile on its face and a gold-embossed obsidian sword club in hand. That, too, lay near the throne, but in the trophy pile. It took another step, splashing blood and viscera. I remembered the lit fuse and ran. Well, no. I tripped and fell, rolling down the slope side of the pyramid. I crawled, puking over myself until I could get to my feet, where I stumbled away, desperately trying to reach the safety of the trees before the explosion. There was rushing winds and whispers. I was running to the shadow of the trees, but the sun sat in front of me. The corpse's spirit danced from shadow to shadow. It hungered to spill my lifeblood with its own hands. But I was saved when the sticks of dynamite went off. The dancing spirit arrayed as an Aztec king pursued me no more. I was thrown from my feet into the swamp and lost consciousness for a bare moment. The smoke and shrapnel still hung in the air when I woke up. I stumbled for the trees. The pyramid within Louisiana Bayou stood firm against the TNT. It was like someone had just put a little campfire into its center. There was no sign of the white crocodile, so I'm going to assume that one's dead. I hope it's dead. The spear thing stared back at me from the pyramid top. I could see it sitting on its throne, all green moss and gray rot, untouched by the explosion staring back at me. Yes. The body itself turned, as if considering a servant from the throne of granite and gold it sat on. The rest was a feverish delusion. I remember almost nothing. Baron Laveau found me wandering the swamp and pulled me up on his boat. He drove me to the nearest hospital, then pushed me out in front of the ER. He drove off in my car, for which I am grateful. The thing isn't street legal. I spent two weeks in a coma but my body healed up fine. I'm sure the medical bill will be delightful for the penny counters. Well, not fine. My right arm is very stiff. I'm going to be doing physical therapy for a while, and the infection in my leg nearly ate it to nothing. Well, I didn't take the job for workplace safety, did I? I got my stuff back from Baron. Good sort. Treated him to Mr. Henderson's barbecue. That boy has a future in barbecue, let me tell you. Madame Laveau left me a letter with some information about my mother's whereabouts and a knit blanket she called an early Christmas gift. I haven't opened the letter yet. I'm a little scared, too. I'm going to circumvent the usual system and send the knife to Jim Donovan directly. I can't tell if he got the spindle or not. I'm going to check the St. Louis drop points. I don't know if they've even been emptied out since September. Ah, Jack Morrow. Out. 
Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike international license. This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on SuperversiveSF.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. No apostrophe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>